0: morning, everybody. Um, as you all realize, I'm not Joe. Joe and Karen are taking some vacation. And um, just to give you an idea of what's coming up, uh, next week we're, we're going to be blessed to have uh, Greg Dykstra, who is a free church pastor formerly of a church in uh, East Peoria. He's a great guy. Uh, me and Joe have gotten to know Greg through... Um, our ministerial meetings where the Peoria area uh, free church pastors get together, he's a great guy, um, has been in ministry a lot longer than both Joe and I have, and he is a, he's a good friend and a, a good older man in my life uh, from a pastor perspective, and he will be here to give our sermon next week, so that, uh, mostly so that I can continue to prepare for Indonesia, which would, we would be leaving the Wednesday after. So we're we're leaving the 15th, so uh, thanks to Greg uh, for doing that. Um, Some of you may know Greg from, uh, he was on the board at Peoria Christian School for quite a few years, so um, yeah. Um, As I've been coming up here, as I've had opportunity to speak on Sunday morning, uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, uh, little by little, and today we're going to be um, in the first chapter still, and verses 11 to 14, and and throughout, uh, I think this is the third time I've been up here, all three times, Paul has been talking about the good news of Jesus Christ dying and rising again for our sins. And he's been talking about how great salvation is and that that is offered to us by grace, through faith, and according to What Jesus did by coming, dying, and rising from the dead. Um, And what has been great about studying this, and I hope you've enjoyed it too, um, is looking at the different word pictures and metaphors that Paul uses in talking about salvation. Uh, First, uh, we saw Paul use um, adoption language and the idea of being adopted uh, to talk about salvation. And then we saw the idea of being ransomed or saved from captivity. And today, the dominant uh, word picture that Paul uses is going to be inheritance. And um, for that, I brought a piece of my inheritance um, to show you guys today, to help us think about inheritance. And what this is, this is a very old book. Uh, This was from my great-grandfather, Reverend George A. Schultz, uh, after whom uh, my dad is named and a book is called The Words of the Lord Jesus by a guy named Rudolf Steyer. Uh, don't worry, you don't need to remember that. Um, no quiz later. Um, but the copyright is 1864. And what this is, is this is one of three volumes. And what, it is, what the three volumes are is pretty much a commentary on all four Gospels um, put together. And, um, and, and yeah, this is, like I said, this is one of the oldest books that – that I own, and my great-grandfather used it. Um, I believe I got it from my grandfather's library. Um, but this is something, and, and it's, I've, th- I've been thinking about my inheritance and, and what it says to me. And the, and the first thing that says to me is I did nothing to earn this book. Um, I was reading a book that we're going through with, with our small group, and it was talking about John 3 where it says you must be born again. And the writer made the point that being born is not really something you do, but rather something done to you. And, and I thought that was a, an interesting point, which we can uh, obviously discuss later. But, um, but it made me think about inheritance. We don't really do anything to inherit things. We're just born into the right family. Because so that was the first, first thing I thought uh, when thinking about inheritance. And the second thing I thought about was sort of my family history. Uh, my great-grandfather... Um, was a pastor he um, if you're familiar with Herman Missouri I know that that some people vacation in that area at least I've been told Uh, that sort of rural Missouri area is where I have a lot of relatives and and he was a pastor his dad was a missionary to America sort of interesting to think about that missionaries getting sent Um, he came from Germany to America and then my grandpa was a pastor and then my uncles are and so with me being a pastor and me having this book to me it highlights the family history and my connection to it you know I don't know my great great grandfather my great grandfather um, passed when I I was about 11 when that happened so I don't have many memories of him But this connects me with my history, this old book. And so so I wanted to share that with you guys to help us think about inheritance. You know, maybe if you are at a point where you're thinking about what you would give as inheritance, you know, maybe that's where you are in life. Or maybe you're at the point where you're thinking, what would you receive as inheritance? But I want us to be thinking about inheritance as we look at Paul helping the Ephesians understand what Jesus did. So, let's look at our text today. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll go back through and, and work through it together. But, starting at verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 1, and going to verse 14. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. of his glory. Now, now the big idea that I want us to remember that's sort of me guiding our whole discussion of this text is that those who believe in Christ have a guaranteed inheritance. Okay, and we're going to see this in two steps. The first one is the choosing of Israel in verses 11 to 12. Now, Paul starts out in saying, In him we were also chosen. Now, sometimes you have to figure out what the we they're talking about is. Is this Paul and the Ephesians, or who is this? Now, that's one option, but what I think Paul is talking about is referring to Jewish Christians. Okay, these are people who grew up um, in the Jewish faith and then became Christians. Um, I'm going to jump a little forward to, to show you why I think that. In verse 12, it says, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, okay? Now, the Bible talks about sort of an order as to how people come to know Christ. Um, And Jewish Christians were the first believers. Okay, all the disciples, Paul, okay, in the book of Acts, Jesus tells the disciples that they will go out into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's how the book of Acts works, it just going from the center of Jerusalem out. And Romans 1.16 says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Now, you might be thinking, hey, Jim, that's really interesting. I'm glad you studied hard and read a lot of books this week. But, but why does that matter? Because... The word chosen there is a word that's only used once in the entire Bible. And some of you may have, the the translations actually vary a lot. So if if you're using a different translation, you either could have chosen or obtaining inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance. Or we have been chosen as God's inheritance. Now, I think the last one is the way we should understand that. And, and this part of this is understanding our Old Testament. And this is something that was actually sort of new to me from my study this week. Deuteronomy 32, 8-9 says this, When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the people according to the number of the sons of Israel. Verse 9, For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. And so in some sense, and, and we're talking about the special way that God chose the nation of Israel to be the carriers of his word, what we call the Old Testament, and to finally out of whom would come Jesus. okay and so and so Paul is going to be talking about how God chose Israel in particular, and how did he do so? in what manner? was Israel chosen? First of all, in Christ. It says, in him, in Christ, we were also chosen. Everything that God does, according to us, in view of us, is through Jesus. Paul wants us to make sure that Jesus is at the center of everything that we know and that we understand about him. Everything that has to do with salvation is through Jesus, And that may sound overly simplified and redundant to some of us, but this is something that we need to keep in place. That we are saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus came to be our substitute. That it's not through good works. It's not through how much money we give in the offering plate, but it's through Jesus. This is what separates us from every other belief out there is what we do with Jesus. And so we can't lose where Jesus fits in to everything. Having been predestined, having been chosen beforehand. And and this next this next clause is 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 something I want us to pay attention to of, of the progression of everything. Listen to it. And I'm going to read it with some pauses to sort of emphasize this. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And and I want us to think about the strongness of those words there, that God chose us beforehand, that it was according to his plan, and this plan is done by someone who works out everything the way he wants it, in conformity with the purpose of his will. This is this is the God we serve. And and sometimes we think of, you know, a weak God. Sometimes we think of a God who is smaller than our problems. A God who is smaller than our circumstances. That we have no hope. But we do have hope because this is our God. The 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 phrase that really really struck me this week of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Everything works out the way God wants it to. And because he's a loving and good God, everything works out for our good and in a way that he shows love to us. Let me pause here for a quick application. The God described here in this text is a God who is in control of everything. He is in control of history. He is in control of everything that happens in your life and the lives of your friends and family. We do not serve a weak God. We serve the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, who works out everything according to the way he wants it, And we need to understand that this is the God of the Bible, that nothing happens without him knowing it's going to happen, that nothing happens without him using it to love us. And secondly, as I said, I think that this part of the text is specifically talking about Israel and Jewish Christians, but in other places, the Bible uses very similar language to talk about how God has chosen us. And so, while I don't think that's the main point of what Paul is saying here, in other places it is. And so, concerning you and I, those of us who are non-Jewish, non-Jewish Christians, that God has chosen us, that God works out everything for us, and that we have been chosen by the God of the universe to be his. What is the purpose, then, of him choosing Israel in this way? Look at the verse 12. In order that, that's a very important phrase, or so that, depending on, um, depending on your translation. What is the purpose? In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, notice that's how they're described. They put their hope in Christ. It's not just being Jewish. I don't want you to hear that today. But it's that they did hope in Christ first. Might be for the praise of his glory. So the purpose of God choosing Israel in this way, and for them to hope in Christ, to hope in Jesus, is so that they would worship him and bring him glory. Now, as I read through this for we're going to see it again but I want to talk about this for a little bit because the repetition's important, so I want to talk about it the first time here as well. Everything God does is for his glory. Everything we do should be for God's glory. Now, I think we need to, to think about that and meditate on that during the week because that's, this isn't an easy text to apply. Okay, it's not like, um, don't lie. Okay, that's an easy one. We stop lying. Okay, but what does it mean in your life to glorify God in all that you do? I want to give you guys a starting point, but I think it's up to each one of us individually to see how this specifically applies to us. The first thing I think of is that every relationship we have must glorify God, how we relate to one another, must glorify God. Even how you relate to your spouse must glorify God. Children, how you relate to your parents must glorify God. Every decision, every decision must be to glorify God. Not just decisions we make about church or at church. Everything. Everything God does is for his glory. Everything we do should then be for God's glory. So how we spend our time is for God's glory. How we talk with our neighbors is for God's glory. How we spend our money is for God's glory. Everything we do, everything is for God's glory. So we've seen how the choosing of Israel fits in with this, this idea of inheritance. But what about non-Jewish Christians, which the Ephesians are? Okay, so the question that Paul wants them to have in their heads, okay, we didn't grow up having the Bible, what we call the Old Testament. Okay, we didn't know about the promises God made in the Old Testament about the Messiah, about who we know to be Jesus. What do we do? Okay, and, and this is important because this is one of the first big problems in the early church. You've got Jewish believers and you've got Gentiles, non-Jewish believers. And, and the first thing we have to understand is that's how a Jewish person would have thought. There are Jews and there are non-Jews. Okay, today we more go by nationalities. Okay, we've got some British, we've got Indonesian, we've got American. That's how we think. But back then, to a Jewish person, it's you're either Jewish or you're not. And and you can see this in the book of Acts of what do we do because these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, are believing in Jesus. Okay, so a lot of what Paul has to say is, how do we get these two groups together? If you read Galatians, you'll see this. You know, the question of, do these Gentiles need to become Jews first and then Christians, or how does that work, okay? But so the Ephesian Christians think, how do we get included? How do we get included as being chosen by God? Verse 13, and you also, we, verse you, he's saying we happen like this, now you, you Ephesian Christians, also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So, Think, if you're, if, you're, if you're an Ephesian Christian, you're hearing this, how are you included? First of all, you're included in Christ or through Christ. Same thing. Notice that verse 11 started, in him we were also chosen. And then verse 13, and you were also included in Christ. Later on in verse 10, you were marked in him. Paul is keeping Jesus at the center of this. Okay, don't forget Jesus. Do not take Jesus out of this equation. We cannot lose Jesus when we talk about our beliefs and what we know to be true and how we are saved. Jesus is at the center of it. But how are they included? Two ways. Well, two parts. First, they heard, and then they believed. What did they hear? Verse 13, and you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. When you heard the message of truth, what is that? What's the message of truth? The gospel of your salvation. We call that in English, another English lesson. Here's one good use for English. Um, The message of truth, this isn't a positive. The gospel of your salvation, it further defines and explains what was previous when they're put in juxtaposition. Hey guys, grammar, kids, are you guys in here? Grammar does pay off in school. All right. So the message of truth, you could add, which is the gospel of your salvation because it further defines what it means by message of truth. So he's saying you need to hear this true message. And this message that is true is the good news that saves you. That's what gospel means. That's all it means, good news. Okay? And it's the good news that is able to save you. Because you need saving. And you need to hear this true message that has the ability to save you. And then once you hear it, you have to believe in it. You have to trust it. This is the only way. This is how we are included in Christ. This is how we get the inheritance. We hear and we believe. And and notice there there is specific content that we need to believe. We need to believe this gospel message. Okay, So we can't just believe in in whatever. There's something specific we need to believe in. We need to believe the good news. And what is that? The good news that Jesus Christ died on our behalf and rose again. Now, To think about this i I know many of us here believe that message and maybe if you if you don't today is the day you need to but we also need to be able to articulate that message we need to be able to repeat it back and and when when people get nervous this this is what i found i mean especially when i worked at camp and we had the opportunity to share the gospel With hundreds of kids this summer, the biggest thing that was the hardest part, that gave the most fear, was people just didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to spit it out. Let me give you a a funny example. I didn't plan to share this, but I think it's a funny story. At camp, they gave us an acronym to help us share with kids, and it was A-B-C, Admit, Believe, Commit great acronym. I'm not saying it's the best, but it's A-acronym, okay? So, here I am, just graduated high school, after the campfire with a kid, and he wanted to accept Jesus into his life, and I'm like, it is easy. It just is A-B-C. A stands for, A stands for something, okay? (laughs) Okay. And the acronym was so good, I could not remember what the acronym stood for. But by the grace of God, I think the kid got the point when I tried. And, and you know, I put that on the grace of God that that kid did hear the message that day, even in spite of me. Um, but that's, that's the biggest problem I've seen, is we get to that moment where we want to talk to him about Jesus, and we just, we don't know where to start. We don't know. We want to make sure we get everything. That's great. You want to make sure you get it all in there. Um, and so so one thing by way of application is, is use your Bible. I was thinking about this, and, and the one, the verse that I like to use um, came to my mind because it's one I learned in Awana back in the day. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, First Corinthians 15, 3 to 5. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. You know, that's one way you can do it. You can find a verse that gets—that's a great summary verse. First Corinthians fifteen three and four and five. Um, but this is something we need to think about—not just that we believe it, but that we can explain it and repeat it. Uh, Mark Dever is a pastor in Washington, D.C., called Capitol Hill Baptist, and he, he's a great uh, pastor and a writer for pastors. Uh, his book, if you, um, if you read the elder notes, we as an elder board have been working through a past, um, a chapter a month, a great book, um, and, and he says this to pastors and elders. Make sure people know that God is our holy creator and righteous judge, that we have all sinned against him, offending his holy character, alienating ourselves from him and exposing ourselves to his righteous anger, that he has sent Christ to die the death that we deserve for our sins, that Christ's death and, and resurrection is the only way to be reconciled to the true God and that we must respond to this good news by repenting of our sins And believing in the gospel, if we would be forgiven by God, reconciled to him, and saved from the wrath to come. Now, that's a great summary that I'm not saying you memorize that and repeat it um, back to someone. But we need to study what the gospel is so that when the time does come and we don't have a great quote in front of us, that we're able to say it. That we're not stammering, looking for words. Uh, the model that 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 Mark Dever uses there is 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 God, man, Christ response. Okay, who God is, that He's the Creator, and that He is holy. That the man that that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Christ, that Christ is the only solution to the problem of us being sinful and God being holy response, that we need to respond to Jesus, and we need to respond to that good news. It's not that we don't know it, but we need to know it in such a way that we can repeat it back. Uh, the, the thought that came to my mind in this was thinking about groceries. I know, I'm always thinking about food, I get it. But um, when, when I go get groceries for Darcy, if it's a short list... I don't, I don't necessarily write it down. Now, that backfires a lot, but when it works, like let's say there are three things I need to get, milk, eggs, and bread, Okay, we'll just pick those. She will tell me, and what will I do? I'll repeat it back to make sure what I heard was right, and it's sort of the same thing here. I know it's a silly example, but, but are we listening to the gospel so that we can repeat it back? We know it so well that it's just like that. Because that's how we're included in Christ, through hearing and believing. That's how others are included in Christ. And what happens when we're included in Christ? It says, we are sealed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So when you heard and believed, you were sealed by God with the Holy Spirit. The seal there is the idea of like a brand with like cattle. You put a brand on the cattle so you know whose cattle it is. Okay, when we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, when we believe and we we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's like a brand saying, I belong to God a sign of ownership. It's saying, I am God's property. I am not my own. I am God's child. And then he says that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That the Holy Spirit is, is like a down payment that guarantees what will happen next. Like when you rent an apartment, you put a down payment, okay, usually first month's rent, so that you're like, okay, I'm gonna be back, you know, for a second month. <laughs> that you're guaranteed to have it when you put a down payment on. It's a guarantee. And when we believe in Christ, that future inheritance is guaranteed. God says, "You are mine, and none can take you away." Now, I want to highlight this little, um, this little uh, detail. Whose inheritance is it? Guaranteeing our inheritance. So first, Paul talked about we Jewish Christians, and he said, "You, Gentile Ephesians," and they come together. In one inheritance, our inheritance as one body of Christ. That God overcomes all barriers. That God overcomes ethnic and socioeconomic barriers through the cross. That we are not saved to just different bodies of Christ, but we're saved to one body of Christ. And that, in this way, Everyone gets the same inheritance, same guaranteed inheritance. There's no difference. I want to pause for application here in, in that in the same way that salvation brings together Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and today American, Chinese, and Indonesian Christians, and rich and poor Christians, and white, black, and Hispanic Christians, in the same way that unity needs to be reflected within our church here. Guy worked with a camp named Al Weinberg said, "If it weren't for Jesus, we wouldn't be hanging out." Um, and the idea there is that Jesus brings people together into a family. That no matter how different we are, that we're in one family, and we have. One guaranteed family inheritance awaiting us. And when does that happen? It happens when when we go back to God or when Christ comes back for us. End of verse 14 there. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. When God comes back for his people. And why? What's the purpose? There it is again. For the praise of his glory. That every step of God working in history is for the praise of his glory. That everything he does is so that we will worship him and bring him glory. Now, another application about this is is that our lives, everything we do, what? Since we do everything for God's glory, everything is an act of worship. Every decision we make that we do for God's glory is an act of worship to him. And that we worship here by singing and coming together, but we also worship him with everything from Monday to Saturday. Everything is done for God's glory. Uh, The Westminster Shorter Confession puts it this way, which is a, sorry, the catechism, which is a teaching tool uh, used for for children. Uh, Question one, what is the chief end of man? What is the main purpose of our lives? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That everything we do is for God's glory. And then one day we will enjoy him throughout eternity being in his presence. I want to highlight four things as we close up today. First one is this, how do you become one of God's people? How do you get this guaranteed inheritance by believing the gospel, believing the good news that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for your sins and that you receive forgiveness when you repent and turn to God? If you need to hear that today, Open your ears and hear what God is saying to you. Secondly, glorify God in all that you do. Everything, every decision, every thought, everything should bring glory to God. Everything that this church does should bring glory to God. We're people with a mission. And our mission is to glorify God and to help other people start to glorify God. Thirdly, salvation brings unity. Salvation reunites us with God because we were separated from him because of our sin. But it should also bring unity with us, with one another, just as it did with the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. They're brought into one church, and we have one family here. And so we need to be driven to be unified with one another because of what Jesus did on the cross. And lastly, this this passage passage should give us comfort. Uh, The Heidelberg Catechism, another teaching tool, says this, question one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death, Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. That those who believe in Christ have a guaranteed salvation. And that when we are in God's hands, no one can snatch us from his hands. Because he is the God who works out all things according to what he wants. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage. God, that you have chosen us, that you've chosen us to, to be loved by you, that you sent your son to die on the cross on our behalf. And God, that we all we need to do to be included in that family, to be included in that inheritance is to hear your word and believe in it. God, that you would grant us faith to do so, that we would trust wholeheartedly in the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And God, that we would be given comfort by this, that we would be given comfort by the assurance you give through giving us the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for this in your name. Amen. Um, At this time, we're going to have communion, so if you are going to um, help with communion, please come forward this time. And uh, Stacy, but we're going to sing a song uh, to help us get ready for communion. So We'll get the words up. Create in me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew.